by the way, just in case, and I know this might take a few of us by surprise, but just in case anybody is wondering, this is not a church for perfect people. I just need to point that out because um, if it was, none of us, let's just be honest, none of us would be well. We have to get up out of our seats. I'd have to walk off this platform right out the door. This be empty. In fact, I was thinking about putting up a sign. What do you think, huh? Because the truth is, come on, you know? It's like, this is way of saying that everyone's welcome to come. You know, I had, I've had uh, this idea of no perfect people allowed, you know, because we're all in need. And even, you know, and again, that's not an excuse for not challenging ourselves, pursuing growth, holiness of the biblically aligned life. I get that. I really do get that. And I hope that's what we're contending for, a vast majority of us. And I don't want to even assume that everybody has stepped across the faith line and opened up their hearts to Jesus, welcomed him in. I, I think that that majority of us probably have. I, I'm, I, that's obvious. But at the same token, there are some of us here who are on the, on the verge of, of making that step. Our hearts are warm. We're being drawn. God's beginning to speak to us. We're hearing his voice. Our heart is opening. But, but here's one thing I need to say, though, is that, the, and this is the truth, that as believers, and I know this is said a lot, and I know it's said out as like a throwaway line, and if it's said casually, it can almost come across as Christian jargon because every group has its jargon, its language. But I'm gonna really, I do believe this, that the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that all of us at our best are just, we really are sinners in need of grace. We always will be, always. We, are, we may be healers in Jesus' name, but we are at best wounded healers, at best. And God does want us to be be, you know, I was thinking about this, this phrase, this phrase came to my mind. We are at our best, worse than we should be, and less than what we could be. I'll say that one more time. This is for all of us who would follow him. We are at our best, and we need to always remember this. We are at our best, worse than we should be, and less than we could be. And that is why we will always need a great Savior, and how thankful we should be that we have one. I heard people say, well, I don't want to go to church because... Man, it's full of hypocrites. You've heard that. I've heard that. It's for sure. Now, first off, let's not be a hypocrite. Let's ask God to help us not to do that. But, but here's the deal. That's like someone saying, you know what? I'm not going to the gym because there's a whole bunch of people there who are out of shape. Right? Come on now. Come on. We still go. Now, here's the thing. You know, I, 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 look, I get it, you know. But that's actually the point is we're all in process, no matter where we are in our Christian life, in our walk with Jesus. And we all have areas. We all have areas where we struggle. Struggle to live the way he would want us to live, follow in the path that he has for us to follow. There are stuff that we carry, the baggage of our past. We've got, we've got stuff that's unique to who we are that we, we're trying to fight through. Um, look, and, and I, I, know, I know this. There are also times I'll hear someone say to me, and they are very sincere. They'll say, you know what? And this happened on Saturday night. So, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I feel comfortable coming to church because I don't feel like I have my act together. And they say, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm not going to come till I get my life in order. And I go, well, for one thing, I, you know, I respect, I kind of respect that part of that. But let me tell you this. This is not a place for people who've got it all together. 
I go, in fact, if you really want to get down to it, this is a place where we get better, right? It's not like we are coming here to get good enough. We're coming here to receive his goodness that is enough. That's a very different thing. That's like saying, you know, Lord, I, that's what Jesus always been. He said, blessed, blessed are those who are open. He basically said, who are open, the poor. He said, he said, he talked about those who can, and he, he was using different types of people who he identified as being on the outside, who were hurting, who had been stripped away of things. He talked about the sick and, and, and those who were more marginalized. And he said, blessed are you, the kingdom is open to you. And he says, in some ways, you're more blessed than those who don't even recognize their need or who have created things that prop up and put a veneer that causes them not to be able to recognize that need. And so the Lord is really, it's important to God, I think, that we recognize that there's always going to be times where he's going to try to remind us, you know, this is a place where people are, are hopefully, we understand, we're not perfect, but I do hope that we, we are wanting to grow. And with flaws and all, right, that we're people who genuinely want to follow Christ again, with humility and, and authenticity. I was reminded of what um, one of my favorite authors is, uh, man, he's getting very, he's getting, mm, mm, he's advancing in his years. Uh, his name is Gordon McDonald. And he's written a number of books that I've, I've found life in. But one of the books that he wrote a few years back was called Mid-Course Correction. And he starts talking about certain concepts, you know, speaking about growing through our weakness. And one of the things he's, he started talking about, he uses these two, he talked about this idea of cultivating a growing edge. And he also said, at the same time, you want to also make sure that, that you are holding on to a vital optimism. Those are two phrases that stuck out to me. This idea of a growing edge means that he, you're talking about not, not just settling in and not contending for growth in your life. He's saying that, and this vital optimism has to do with the belief that, that God's got some good things ahead for us. And he says, and what happens is when we, he, in the book, he starts talking about how when we get into our 20, in our 30s, 40s, 50s, and he starts walking through the decades, 60s, possibly even heading into even years past that, he says there is a real tendency at times because of the disappointments in life or the overwhelming responsibilities in life to, to lose our growing edge and to stop believing in a, in a, in a vital kind of optimistic approach to living. And he says that that can affect us deeply. He says one of the things that really hurts us is when we start to experience failure. That failure begins to wear us down. We begin to feel defeated around it. We feel like there's certain areas that are never going to change in my life. And we begin, he says, and we stop growing. And one candid moment in, in, that, in his sharing, he, he said this. And it, I, I asked, him, can you guys just put this up? And he, he said this. And just check this out. He was talking about how in a particular season of failure, he was feeling. He says, it was not the last failure by any means. He goes, I've, I've failed in certain working relationships. I've, I've failed to live up to an intellectual standard I once set for myself. That's actually a very insightful, reflective thing to say. Basically, I've, he's saying, you know, I, ha I haven't really kept my intellectual edge. I've stopped reading. I've stopped growing. I've stopped contending, at least not the way I should. And that happens when we start getting worn down by life. We, we lose some of that vitality. He goes, thus far I feel, and look at, listen to his words. You can feel his kind of lament. Thus far I feel like I've failed to achieve the level of spiritual maturity that I actually believe is right for a man of my age. He's sort of looking there and he's saying, you know what, God, I, I, I feel frustrated by where I'm at, kind of. 
I feel like I should be further along than I am. And somewhere away, along the way, I, got, I get, let myself get stuck. But then he rallies. Watch what, he, what follows. He, it's like I watch him rally. He says, but I will not, look what he says, I will not, this is what I won't do. I'm not going to permit these failures to stop me from a, a continuing reach to grow and overcome the limitations, the weaknesses that those failures have disclosed. In other words, just because I've been less than what I believe I should be or what God wants me to be. I'm not going to let that defeat and define me and, and just be depressed by, you know, all that has been squandered or even lost. No, by God's grace, he says, I'm going I'm I'm to contend for growth and improvement in the very areas my fa- failures have revealed as limiting weakness. That's a tremendous, that's an attitude shift. That's why he calls it a mid-course correction. That's talking about I'm shifting my approach. I'm not going to just like write it out in defeat or write it out in, you know, kind of a, a passive, it won't make a difference anyway, resigned, defeated, discouraged. And again, he, I, I, and this is a big part of what we're talking about. It's okay to struggle with stuff. God does his best work in our weakness. God's strength is revealed to be its most beautiful when we're at our weakest. You understand that? All of God's heroes, as we're going to see, were flawed people. All of them. You set aside Jesus. There's not one person that was referred to in that passage of the Hall of Faith that, was, that wasn't flawed and struggled. Paul talks about it. And you can see in your handout, there's a couple of passages there. One of them is in 2 Corinthians 4. Check this out. He, well, in that, you know what? I'm just going to refer to that. He talks about how we, and you can see it in that seventh verse, He goes, we've got this amazing thing. God lives in us, he says. But the creator of the universe, the same creative power that shows up in our lives, he says, but you know, he goes, God puts this amazing power into fragile clay jars like us. He describes us as like clay jars. What is a clay jar? It it would be like a, a vessel in his day. You would see them, a pot that contained things. And but he in their day, those things could be broken so easily. And he was saying, you want to really know the truth is we're fragile more fragile than we realize. We're like jars of clay. And we contain this. He says the amazing thing is we have this capacity to contain the, something of, of the creative power of God in our lives, and yet we're, we're, we're more weak than we realize. Now watch this next passage, which is in Hebrews 11. Because Hebrews 11, again, is the, is the chapter where all, a lot of the heroes of the Older Testament are referred to. And I know it's a different time. It was a more patriarchal, violent age and culture. I get all that. And it, it was clearly before Jesus, so certain things um, hadn't even developed yet. And at times, it can almost feel like it doesn't fit into a kind of a modern context. But I want to say that in Hebrews 11, we're, we're reminded, all of us who would follow Jesus are reminded there's something we can learn from some of these people who lived in evidenced heroic faith. There's something about the merging, the unifying principle of faith that if we can look at these lives, we will find that they will strengthen our capacity to live a life of faith in the unique situations that we find ourselves in. Now, in the early part of that 11th chapter, he talks about certain people whose names most of us will immediately recognize. People like Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Sarah, you know, even someone more obscure like, a, like a Rahab. There are names that are mentioned. There are t- the, it's examples of their faith. But towards the end of that chapter, he makes some fascinating assertions. 
And, it's, and I want us to look at it. I'm going to read through it fairly rapidly, but it's poetic, it's expansive, it speaks of valor, bravery, and the endurance of unimaginable suffering. Now watch what he says here, okay? He says, how much more do I need to say? He says, it, it would take too long to recount the stories of, of the faith of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. Watch what he rolls out here. Ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They, they became strong in battle, put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others, they were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and, and, sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were all too good for this world, this very violent world of ours with all of its craziness and senselessness. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves, holes in the grounds. And, they, and all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. Here's the deal. Go back to that 34th verse. What is it? There's a phrase that just like stood out to me like it was a neon. And it, I believe it's a foundational piece for us. Their weakness, you see it, was turned into strength. What a reminder that God is not limited by our weakness. How about this formula? Our weakness plus his strength equals the possibility for heroic faith. Our weakness, his strength, makes possible heroic faith. Remember, this is important in the weeks ahead, all of God's heroes are flawed. Now, you look at this. Go to that 32nd verse where we start. You look at those names, okay? Some of, these, some of us will go, oh, I recognize those names. Others of us, we, won't, we don't know who they are. It says it refers to, look at the following names. Gideon, Barak. Hey, look at that name. Wow, okay. We wouldn't have known that name, but now that name is a little more recognizable. Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And you know what stood out to me? Here's the thing. If you do a study, every one of these heroes of faith, all right, they were all flawed and possessed a, defini a definitive weakness as I reflected back on the darker places of their lives. And man, I'm so thankful the Bible doesn't just only show us the good stuff. It's real. It gives us insight into flaws and struggle because it's real life. I Just quickly, the first four are all mentioned in the book of Judges. So Gideon, and Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. That's the seventh book of the Older Testament. They were all deliverers called Judges in one of the darkest and most discouraging violent times in Israel's history. But again, each one of them were flawed. Gideon, just quick. Gideon. A hero of faith was flawed and cowardly. He was hesitant, anything but courageous and brave, yet God used him. Barak, as, as one writer put it, had to be shamed into action. Jephthah becomes a cautionary tale of the dangers of being rash. Samson, a man of in, incredible, uncommon physical strength and uncommon weakness and character deficiency. Even David, who is probably one of the most admired figures in all the scripture, the greatest king of Israel, the, four, the ancestor of Messiah. When they saw Jesus, one of the things they called him, there he is, the son of David. 
It's a messianic term. David, who writes the Psalms out of his own life, so many of us live out of that, out of his pain, his love for God, the rawness, the realness of who he was. David, but even he, a towering figure of faith and love for God, a man who, who is described at certain times in the scriptures, a man after God's own heart, has a weak side. His, his adultery with Bathsheba and, and the unconscionable treatment of her husband Uriah a stain, a shame stain for the ages. And then Samuel, who's just thrown in there on the back end there, this, this, this great prophet who struggles as a father, his, his sons corrupt to the bone and filled with greed. So much so the people say, we can't have a priest, we need a king. Your sons are so bad. Now, all of them, and, but every one of them, they're false, and yet all of them exercised faith in God and were used in, in exceptional ways to help Israel. So what is there for us to learn? Okay, here's where I want to bring it together. Where, what do we learn for where we're going? What does this mean for us? Let me just put some things out there. Number one, let me just suggest this. Our weaknesses, though discouraging, do not need to be defining. Because I look at this and I say, well... All of God's heroes, I look at them, I see them, and they were weak at some point, and God still used them in amazing ways. And so there, this is something that should encourage us, especially when we feel hamstrung or hindered by something we either lack, are limited by, an aspect of our life that maybe we find very disheartening for us that it's sometimes so hard to not be depressed about it. For some of us, it might have to do with something with our health. Some of it might have to do with relationships, a relationship, our relational status, loneliness, hurt. We, there's things we struggle with. There's, it might have to do with our self-image, the way we look. Might be a situation at our work where we feel like our best days are behind us or we're frustrated by what's happening and we're not getting the ability to move forward or we feel like we've been climbing the wrong ladder or we're, we're struggling with stuff. We're getting older. We're not happy about it. it bothers us. I'm telling you, look, there's stuff, stuff that, that can just, you know, rip out our vital optimism. That we people don't know. People don't know it. And 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 uh, and here's the thing. I'm not just saying. I really. If we will move towards the Lord, we will find grace. We will find the power to prevail. I didn't say it's going to be easy because there's some things we're going to have to learn how to wrestle with. And I'll tell you why I think we're going to do that. Why that actually can be helpful. But one of the things I'm reminded of is we're told follow in the path of Abraham. You know what Abraham's called the father of the faith. He's called the father of the faithful because. He left on a journey, not even knowing where he was supposed to go. And he walked by faith. And he becomes a kind of precursor, a forerunner of the life of faith. But you know what basically faith is? And we're all called to live by it. Faith, the walk of faith. You know what all walking is? What is walking? You hear me say it. It is falling forward. Walking is falling forward. And what God calls us to do is to move forward in faith. 
I'm moving forward. I'm falling forward in faith. Look, this, that means that God's not intimidated by our struggles. In fact, he'll use them. Here's the, here's the deal. Our obstacles, actually, here it is, are God's opportunities. That is the truth. His opportunity to do what? To show himself strong on our behalf so that we can know in incredible ways the power of God. Remember, we all have breaking points. That's just a fact. We're all jars of clay. We're none of us, and none of us are invincible. We can snap, we can crackle, and we can pop. That's a fact, too, right? I was thinking about it. You know when I was, this dawned on me because I was thinking about this message. I was thinking about how our vulnerabilities and how certain things can just kind of hurt us. And they may not show up for other people. They might go, what's the big deal with that? And for us, though, it's like, it's such a struggle. And we all have those areas, to use the hero analogy, that kryptonite. That really, we just, it just weakens us. I was thinking about the game. We've all been watching the Warriors, most of us anyway, not all of us, but a lot of us, right? And I was thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about game two and Kevin Love. That's the power forward on the Cavaliers. And I was watching what happened to him. And he gets a concussion. Now, some of us may recall that in that game, Harrison Barnes just goes up and it, it, he, it almost looked when you looked at the television replay, that his left forearm just grazes the side of his head. And, you, and the thing is, you see collisions all the time, people crashing the floor, banging into each other. No one gets a con concussion. So that's why most people thought, oh, he, he's kind of faking you know, right now. It's clearly it's not that, that wasn't that much of a collision. But it hit him, if you, when you look at it, it hit him just in the right way, grazed his head, that he genuinely was hurt. In fact, he was out the entire rest of that game, the next game, you know, after the halftime of that first game, game two, and then game three, he missed completely, and then game four, he shows up. And the thing about it was, I was, it reminded me, there are certain things, they hit us, and it may not look like it's, but it, it affects us. It affects, so I'm like, oh, what's the big deal? Wasn't much of it. There's been way worse stuff than that. I know, but this thing hit me. It knocked me. It hurt me. You see what I'm saying? And again, a lot of, some of that's tied to our dispositions, our past experiences, things that have happened to us or in us. And when a certain thing hits, it's like that, that, it may not look like a lot to you, but to me, this is hurting me. It's hurting me. I'm struggling. And that is real. That's very real. You know, when I think about that, I go, Lord, I know you want to renew us. I know you do. I know you want to help us. You want to teach us how to prevail. You want to help us to, to you know, when I, okay, last year, I was, um, I was in kind of a spot where I was feeling a little discouraged about things. I wasn't happy. And I, one of the things I was saying, Lord, is how am I going to fill this space? Because right now I'm not happy with what's happening to me. And I was feeling discouraged. And what I started doing was reading a psalm, the psalms. And every day I would, I would read one of the psalms and then I would write certain parts of it down. And I would use it as a mechanism for strengthening myself in a very difficult space. And one of the things, I came to the 18th chapter, uh, the 18th psalm, and I remember it because I was thinking about it, because David, is, he's writing this, about his struggle and he's, he's, talking, he's trying to remind himself that God can help him, right? There are these times where we're going, this is hard. This is hard for me right now to hold my line. Part of me wants to, wants to, to have either a bad attitude, give up, yield, quit, 
um, do something self-destructive, whatever, whatever stuff flows into our minds, so much of the battle is right here in our thoughts. That's why there is power in filling our mind with God's word, especially in critical times. And I, I started reading the Psalms, and I, but I, didn't do, I just said, you know what, I need to do more than that. I actually need to write things down as a way of hammering it into my mind, and then I need to repeat it. Now, one of the things, I came to that 18th Psalm, and he's talk, David's talking about, the Lord is my rock. He is, he is my shield. Or he starts reminding himself who God is to him. That's so why I'm writing it down. This is who you are to me, Lord. And then he starts talking about the greatness of God. And then he gets to this one spot towards the end of that Psalm where he, he starts saying, Lord, you are able. You are able to help me with my struggle. I've got enemies on my left and on my right. Those are the things that I think confront us in this life that we struggle with. He's going, you will make my feet like the feet of a deer. You will teach me how to, how to walk in like a a deer in high places where one misstep will cost me everything. You will teach me how to negotiate difficult places. Lord, you will give me strength that I do not possess. You will be, who is my rock? You are my rock, Lord. You are my defender, Lord. And then he says, you will teach my hand. You will help me to run through a group and you will open up a wide path for me. You will teach me how to prevail and you will make my arm so that it can bend a bow of bronze. What he was saying was, you will give me strength I did not think I had. He's reminding himself of what God can do. And in these moments when we're really struggling, again, the unique hit, the unique blow that plays into all of our weakness, this is when we need to draw from the strength of God. Jesus said, Matthew 11, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, right? Learn from me. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. It's this idea to me, right? Rest, I am gentle, I am lowly in heart. You will find rest for your soul. You know what the Bible says about soul? It's about our mind. My mind our thoughts, that's where, bring my mind, Lord, I will give you rest of soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Don't carry this. You give, give it to me and you take what I have for you to carry. You don't carry it that way. That's going to kill you. Are we carrying things that he wants us to leave with him? I tried that. Then do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I give it to you, Lord. Help me. Strengthen me. See what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. The other thing I've come to see is that our obstacles really can be an opportunity for God to grow our faith and our trust base. Someone's just like Jacob who's wrestling with the angel of the Lord to obtain a blessing and embrace a promise of a new possibility. God does allow him to prevail, but always, he'll always have a limp to remind him of the struggle. There are some things that as we wrestle with them, God will bring us through it. But listen, we will be a different person coming out of it. We may have a limp for the rest of our days, but we also will come out of it. with. He came out of it. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. That's the name that prevailed. Here's the thing. He would never forget that time in his life. God opened up a new thing, but it was a product of a wrestling match. And it left him with a limp. See the metaphor. Last thing we'll say about this piece here is that God also uses that as an opportunity to forge our character. Come on now, in the fire, the metal is hot. That's when the impurities rise out. Oh, 
that's, you know what? When the heat is on, we're either going to get bitter or we're going to do what? Get better. I'm not going to come out the same person. I'm either going to be worse or better. God wants us to come out better. Better. It may be a long slog, but we're going to get better. Bitter is the older brother in Rembrandt's prodigal son painting, sitting there when he should be rejoicing at his brother's return, sitting there aloof, angry, resentful, close-hearted, unwilling to participate. That's bitter. Better is, Lord, give me more create opening in my heart. Keep me soft. Keep me less judgmental. Give me more compassion and empathy, Lord, for others who struggle. Just teach me your ways. Okay, last thing we'll, we'll put out there is this. That God has placed into every one of us, loved ones, the seed of heroic faith. It only takes the faith, Jesus said, the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. There are mountains sometimes that stand in the way of our breakthroughs in our own heart. There are things that we've struggled with. You say, get out of my way. Get this out of me. Right? And I'm going to say that in the name of Jesus, if there's something that's intimidating us, a mountain perhaps of despair blocking our path, let us say with all of our flaws in the name of Jesus, move. I come at this in the name of the Lord. I know I said that was the last thing. This will be the last thing of the last thing I'll say. (laughs) Some things are going to be small and, and they'll not be seen. But God will give us grace to be heroic in, in ways that are seen and unseen. Some people will look at you and go, it might, again, there might be certain things you do, certain simple, unseen acts of spiritual heroism. A response to give something when God put it in our heart. A willingness to exercise a level of restraint when a part of us wants to indulge. A willingness to move forward to where God wants us to go and not run away from what he's asking us to be. Small, willingness to talk to someone when part of us, about Jesus when part of us doesn't want to do that. Look, there are situations where no one will ever know. Some people will go, wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, the way you're walking through that, I'm impressed. And they'll say, that's amazing. That's, that's encouraging. There's a lot of other stuff in our lives. We may do it for the Lord. No one will ever see it. Ever. They may not know how hard it is for us how much wrestling we're doing to do it God's way. How, how, how this is costing us something. But guess what? Heaven sees. And I do believe well done, my daughter. Well done, my son. No one sees, heaven sees. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Not perfect, but well done. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your words. Thank you, Lord, that you see even our flaws and limitations. And those aren't things that define us necessarily because your grace is amazing. And I do ask, Lord, that you would continue to help us in these places of struggle. And out of that, forge things in us that could have never come before. Bind us to your grace in our weakness. Use the weakness to bind us to your grace. Keep transforming our trust faith. Expand our faith. Even as we make this journey together in the days ahead, I ask, Lord, 
that you would expand things in our own hearts with you. Give us courage. Open up things for us. Make our path wide so we do not slip. This is what I pray. I pray this blessing on all of us. Bless our time of giving. Bless the closing song. Bless what we've shared together. Let it linger in our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Let it be so.